and Mark for leading us and worshiping our Lord. Those are wonderful songs to sing, especially considering the passage we have before us this morning, that we would be rooted and we'd be grounded in the love of our God. Let me start with a, uh, a bit of an illustration. When a number of us went to Israel earlier in the year, Pastor Adam at the time had uh, led us there on that trip. And it was a wonderful time going to the places where things actually happened that we read about in the Bible. Now before I went, before we went, and if you had never been, you'd know just as well as me what it's like to actually be there. You wouldn't know very much. You could look up images on Google. You could read your Bible and imagine what it's like to be there. But you could only just do that. You'd never know what it's like to actually be there in those places. Now, now that I've been, I can bring you some of that experience. I can say what it was like to be on the Sea of Galilee where Jesus calmed the storm, and I can say what it was like to be at the Rock of Golgotha where Jesus was crucified for me and where he prayed in the garden. I can give you something of that experience, and it's almost like you've been there through me, but you'll never know exactly what I experienced until you've been there for yourself. And that's something that we see this morning with the love of God. We've been looking at a number of prayers that the Apostle Paul prays for the churches in various places, and the one we're looking at this morning is that prayer, that you would go on that journey, that you would experience for yourself what it is to know the love of our God in Jesus Christ. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 through 19. If you haven't used a, a Bible much, it's between um, Galatians and Philippians. You can look it up in the table of contents if you need. And... Uh, Turn to Ephesians chapter 3, and why don't we stand together and we'll read God's word. Ephesians 3, starting in verse 14. This is the word of God. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Let's pray. Our God, this is a great prayer. We can tell just at face value. We're asking for something great of you. And we're asking for it according to your greatness. So we know this is a prayer that you can answer. We know this is a prayer that you desire to answer. But Lord, open it up for us this morning? Would we understand what it is that we're asking? Would we understand something of the heights and the depths of what we want? And would it be something that we would want, something that we desire? Would we desire you more and more? And we ask that this would happen according to the power at work within us. Work through us, Holy Spirit, even as you work in each of us. 
work amongst us, work between us as children, brothers and sisters in your family. Make your love manifest in our hearts and in our church and beyond in our world. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. You can take a seat. Just looking at this prayer, I think you get the sense that Christ's love isn't something shallow. It's not something to be toyed around with as if it was just an abstract idea that we can talk about, that we can debate. This is a great thing, and it's more than a thing. It's, it's a person. It's a person of Jesus Christ known to us. Now, Paul says something very interesting right in the middle. He says that you need ability, you need power to understand this love of Jesus Christ. What you need is his nearness to you. So this is the prayer we explore. It's not a complicated prayer. It's actually a very simple prayer, but it's something that we can't actually understand all the depths of it. And even more than that, we can't understand fully the depths of the subject that we're exploring, which is the love of Jesus Christ. Now my prayer, and the prayer I hope we can all pray, is that by the time we get to the end of this, and as God continues to do his work in us through this prayer, that we'd be able to say, I never actually knew what love was. Now I've seen it. I saw only the shadow before, and now I've seen the substance. For the Christian who has never felt Christ's love, if that's you, if you've never felt it in the way that I've just briefly described, don't miss this opportunity to ask the Lord to make known to you his love. And he can do that like you've never seen before. But if you are a Christian and you've experienced Christ's love in this way, there's still more. There's still the opportunity that you will know his love more than you ever have before. Know that his love for you has never faded, even if your vision of his love has it's a great promise and if God answers this prayer for you I can say without hesitation that you'll get more than what you bargained for this is a prayer that God will answer if you'll ask him now very quickly let's ask where we are in this letter how did we get here in Ephesians three fourteen? well very simply we've got two parts so far in the letter one we looked at last week and one we're looking at this week. He started the letter by saying, Christians, saints in Ephesus, these are all of the blessings that you have in Christ. And then what does he do? He prays to apply all of that. That's what we looked at last week. He prays that the eyes of their hearts would be open to understand everything that they have in Christ, everything that God has promised. And then he continues on and he says, you who were dead in your sins, God's made you alive together with Christ. And he's not only taken dead people and made them alive, but then continuing on in chapter 2, he says that he's taken alive people who were alienated from each other and he's made them one in the family of God. No longer Jews and Gentiles, no longer strangers, but all fellow citizens, all saints. So he's taken us all together, and now he applies this great thing, and he's basically saying that there's no way you can understand this. There's no way you can live like the family of God if you don't pray to him, if you don't have his power working within you to make known to you his love so that you can live his love to others. That's the essence of where we've gotten to. So now we're praying to understand the love of Christ so that we can live as the family of God. That's how we got where we are now. If the Apostle Paul wanted his readers to just 
understand Christ's love? Why wouldn't he just say to them, I'm praying to you, praying for you, that you'd know his love? It seems like a simple prayer and it seems like enough. But Paul goes on and he works hard to help them understand, even through his prayer, the ability that they, that they need to understand Christ's love. Let me see if, if you can hear this emphasis through the passage. Just listen and recognize that all through, until we get to the very last verse, he doesn't even say what he's praying for. He says something of it, but he doesn't get to the pinnacle until the very end. Listen to this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know, and he finally gets to it, What's his point? There is strength. There is an ability that's needed to comprehend and know this thing. And it needs to come from God himself. And he explains this ability in three ways. Just look briefly at verse 18 before we continue on. See where it says, may have strength. That's the ability that we need. That's the ability that we need to ask God for to understand all the depths of Christ's love. That's what he means. He's praying for the ability for them to know this. The first part of this prayer from verse 14 all the way through to the end of verse 17 is all this prayer for the ability to understand Christ's love. And he breaks it down in three ways, and we'll look at all three of them quickly. It's the Father's riches, it's the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's Christ's home within us. And all of these three point to the ability that we need to comprehend Christ's love. So let's start with the Father's riches. In verse 14, he starts this way. For this reason, and this is going back to where we started, back in chapter 2. For this reason, because you've been made into a family of God, a people for God's dwelling. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. I'm praying to him, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, meaning he's sovereign over every family, every family of humans, every angel in the sky. He is sovereign over all. He's their creator. He's named them by name, just as when you name your child, you demonstrate that you have some authority and some care in their lives. We pray to a father who is sovereign and who cares about us. And this is how he continues. I'm praying to him that according to the riches of his glory, that's verse 16, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with this ability. What are these riches of his glory? The riches of the Father's glory are already described in a a few ways that we've looked at in, uh, we haven't looked at all of them necessarily, but that you can see in in Ephesians, we've seen that there is riches to God's grace. He says that earlier in uh, chapter 1. There are riches to God's grace. And then in chapter 2, he says that God is rich in mercy. He's rich in mercy toward us. But here he says that he's praying to the Father according to the riches of his glory. What is God's glory? 
Jody explained a little bit about this for us, and that's only ever what it really is. It's a little bit. It's knowing a part of who God is. We never really know the fullness. But God's glory is the expression of the essence of his being. It's who he is. If we can say it any more precisely, really it would be to say that God is. As Moses said, uh, God said to Moses, I am who I am. It's the essence of who he is. It's the expression of who he is in the core of his being, if we can say that. God is, as we looked at last week, God is the father of glory. Now, one other thing about these riches, you see, it says he doesn't just grant them to be strengthened from the riches of his glory or out of the riches of his glory, but he says, according to the riches of his glory at the beginning of verse 16, according to the riches of his glory. This is the difference, it's been said, between a portion and a proportion. If I had a billion dollars, and I gave you 10 cents, I would actually be giving you something out of my wealth, a portion of my wealth. But if I had a billion dollars and I gave you a million dollars, that would be more the sense of giving you according to my wealth. It's a difference between a portion and a proportion. God is giving us according to the riches of his glory. It's something we can't quite understand. Now we've said, That we need God's ability if we're going to comprehend Christ's vast love. But that's what makes this so comforting. If we're saying, if we're getting to the point where we're understanding something that quite can't be understood, we have comfort here because we have power according to the riches of who God is himself. And if God answers this prayer, we can put it simply this way. From what we've seen so far, if God answers this prayer... Everything that follows is possible because it comes out of the riches of who God is. So that's the riches of God's glory. That is the Father's role in answering this prayer. And we continue on. Halfway through verse 16, we see the Spirit's power. He asks that they may be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner being. Now we've been brought to the place where we understand that we need something of power to be able to understand Christ's love. But how is it that we actually experience this power? How do we experience the riches of God's glory? It's not something that's just out there. It's something that we actually experience because God brings his power into our hearts, into the inner self. How? By his spirit. This is God's seal on the life of the believer. This is how you know a believer from a non-believer, the spirit within them. This is what God does when he saves you. Two fundamental things. The spirit makes you new, it says later in chapter 4 in Ephesians, and he makes you a new creature, a new creation according to the likeness of God himself in righteousness and holiness and then what does he do? He doesn't just make you new, but he dwells inside of you. That's in, uh, in Romans chapter 5. Um, oh, I think, I've, I think I've, uh, I've confused myself. He makes, he takes up his residence inside of you. He fills you. Now you might say, I've, uh, I've received the Holy Spirit. 
I, I have his power. I'm a Christian. Why do I need to ask for more power? Is it possible? I've asked myself this. Is it necessary? What's Paul saying? He's saying that yes, it must be the case. You have to ask God to fill you with his power. This is how the Holy Spirit has to work in your life. He doesn't just sit there. He doesn't just exist and coexist with you. It's not a one-time use, this power. It is a person. It is Christ in the Holy Spirit. It is God in the Holy Spirit himself. He resides in the believer. Ephesians 5.18 says this, Don't get drunk with wine. That's debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. Some of you were driven by alcohol or other pleasures and passions and sins. We all were. But when Christ saved us, when the Holy Spirit indwelt us, he dominated our lives and he dominates our lives for righteousness and for the sake of holiness, right living for God. That's what he does in us and he continues to do it. Now I wonder how many of you, and I, I include myself in this often, how many of you don't know the Spirit's power actively at work in your lives? Is he powerful in your life in giving you opportunities to speak of Christ, in giving you the words to speak, in giving you love for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Is he powerful for overcoming sin and temptation in your lives? Is he powerful for overcoming doubts and despair that Satan would try and wrap us up in? Is he powerful and active in your life? Is he powerful in making known to you the riches of his love? We'd have to ask. If you ever never known anything of this power at all, you have to ask yourself, has the Holy Spirit actually dwelt within you? Because if he's in you, he continues to do this work. But this is a very hopeful prayer that no matter where we are this morning, God will dwell within us if we will ask him. This is how Paul describes this. In Ephesians 1.13, he says this at the end of many of the blessings that he's listed we have in Christ. This is how it works with the Holy Spirit. When you heard the word of truth, when you heard the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in Christ, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And this is what he will do if you will ask him. His power never fades. So would God strengthen all of us with his power through his spirit in our inner beings? Now, is this uh, bringing us nearer to, to know Christ's love? How is it doing this? How is the riches of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit bringing us nearer to knowing Christ's love, giving us this ability? This is how we continue in verse 17. At the beginning of verse 17, Paul prays this, so that, and this is all dependent on the Spirit dwelling in you, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, this might be confusing at first, but we need to know this isn't a second act. This isn't something different that God is doing. It's not entirely different from the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. The heart isn't something entirely different from the inner being. The dwelling isn't any different. It's the core of who we are, and he takes up residence. But what's the point here? He's saying that the Spirit 
of God can't be separated from Christ himself. Where the spirit is, Christ is there as well. Paul describes it this way in Romans 8, 9. You, however, you're not of the flesh to live according to the flesh, but you're in the spirit if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone, and this is how he puts it, who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Where we find God's spirit, we find Christ himself. He takes up residence in us. Now immediately, you might ask, is that something that a Christian should ask for? How can we ask that Christ would dwell within us? Isn't that what he's already done? Don't we already have Christ within us? We pray and we talk that way. That we've asked Christ into our hearts, and that is what happens by his spirit. A Christian is a little Christ, right? A new person made after his likeness. But the difference is this. He doesn't just come in and sit there. He makes himself at home. He makes you his home. And we can be confident about that that understanding by looking at the word dwell. You see in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This word dwell is important to look at. It's made up of two words, which mean down and that mean home. He, he goes down into the home and he makes it a home. What's the point? If we put this in everyday English, it would mean something like settling down, making yourself at home. And that's what he does in us. If you have a New Living Translation, it even says that Christ will make his home in your hearts. That's exactly right. Let me illustrate this way. If you move into a new house, and that's what our family's just done and others have just done. If you move into a new house, a new apartment, do you just bring in all of your stuff and plop it there and put up a sign that says, home sweet home, and it just feels like home? It doesn't quite, does it? It does to some degree, but you don't stop there. You start unpacking all of your stuff. You start taking things out of the boxes, putting them in their places. You start putting the furniture where it needs to be. You start putting up artwork. You start painting. You start repairing things that have been neglected. And it starts to feel more like a home, right? But does it even stop there? Does it ever stop, really? I think we can all say, no, it doesn't ever stop. Then you go on to other things and you make bigger repairs and you repair the roof and you put a a deck out the side and you do landscaping. And what does it mean? It all means that this place starts to take on more and more of who you are. It starts to look like you. It starts to be an expression of who you are because you take up dwelling inside of it. You don't just sit there. You make it your home. And so it is with Christ in the Christian heart. He will come in and he will eat and drink with you, but he doesn't just come to hang out casually on uh, on a visit. No, he comes to make you his home. He moves in, he settles down, he takes up a dwelling. And just as your home knows you, the more you live in it, when Christ lives in you by faith, you know him more. Paul describes it this way. This is his own testimony. He says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. This requires prayer. To put it in everyday language, we might pray, Jesus, make yourself at home in me. 
So to summarize, all of this ability that we've been looking at, this ability to understand something of Christ's love, we might look at verse 17, the end of it. Paul summarizes it himself. What does he say? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. This is the summary of who a Christian is. This is what a Christian is. If Christ is in you, his love dwells within you. His life, his love encompasses who you are. God is love. So to be in Christ and for Christ to be in you, it means to be rooted and grounded in love. Paul never shies away from mixing his metaphors. And he does it again here. He uses a metaphor of a rooting, of a planting, and he uses a metaphor of a building. And he says that you, if you are in Christ, if Christ is in you, he has actually planted you with your roots growing down into the fertile soil of his love. And then he says that if Christ is in you, you actually exist on a foundation of Christ's love. And from there, he'll build you up more and more in his love to know his love, to experience his love. You're rooted and grounded in love. That's the, that's the summary of who a Christian is. So having all of this, putting all of this together, what does it mean? Why all of the trouble to describe the ability, the strength, as it says in verse 18, to know the love of Christ? Let me ask you, is there a person in your life who loves you dearly, who loves you so well, and you know it, you feel the love, but you've never met them. You don't even know their name. It's, it's a contradiction. It can't be. And it's the same way in, 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 this, in this sense. The way we know Christ's love is to know ourselves to be near to him. It's to be there next to his love and examine his love and see it. And that's what we continue to do. The ability is that we've been brought near to Christ. He's taken up residence within us. And now we move on. This is the second movement of Paul's prayer. Having established this ability, we move now to the vastness of Christ's love. You might put it this way, the impossibility of knowing Christ's love apart from what he might do. So he describes it in two ways that you may be able to comprehend Christ's love and that you may be able to know Christ's love. Let's look at the first one. What does this word comprehend mean? It means to grasp. It means to lay hold of with the mind. It's a knowledge of the intellect. It requires thinking. And it's to be comprehended with all the saints. We already know that God has made us his dwelling. And it's one thing to know Christ's love for yourself but it's another thing to know Christ's love when you're surrounded by people who know Christ's love. So this is a love that is known best with all of the saints together. So it's to be comprehended with all the saints. What's to be comprehended? What's to be grasped? It's this. The breadth and the length and the height and the depth of Christ's love. We have to ask, what are these dimensions? Is it to be measured with units of centimeters, of miles, maybe of light years? We can't really answer that question. We know that that's the whole point here. It's not to be measured with units that we know. It means that God's love goes out in every direction, as far as we could imagine and more. And if you're science-minded, you might have noticed that he gives us four dimensions. It goes beyond what we can understand in space and time. 
it goes on and on and on. This is Christ's love. It is immeasurable. But he says it's something to be comprehended. We're not just to say that it's a love that's out there that we know is beyond measurement. We can't really understand it. But he says, no, it is actually to be examined. It's to be understood. It's to be grasped. How can this be? I'll illustrate it this way. We can think of uh, the Christmas story. It's something we're so familiar with. And even as children, we understand something that it's the Son of God coming to earth. But what happens every year? We hear it over and over again. It almost becomes just something that isn't quite appreciated year over year. But have the truths changed Has the story of Christmas ever changed? It's always the same year after year. Nothing's changed, but our understanding grows. So over the years, you understand more of what it means that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. It wasn't just a city. It was the city of David. And he didn't just come to earth to give us a new holiday to cheer us up when it was cold. But he came to earth to live perfectly. And he came to earth to die the death that sinners deserved. And he came to earth to be raised from the dead in glory. And we will be raised with him if, we're, if we are in him. And we understand more of what it means for Christmas to happen. What does it mean for Jesus to come to earth? But has the story ever changed? The story's never changed. It's the same thing. But we've understood more of it. Every time we look at it, we examine it, we appreciate more of God's love So that we see God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's the simplest truth, but it's the deepest. So we're to look at it. And every time we look, our understanding grows. Here's one way you might examine Christ's love. In Ephesians, we can do this by looking at chapter 2, verse 4. We find that those who were dead in sins and couldn't do anything for themselves, God made alive together with Christ. And why did he do this? He did this because of his great love with which he loved us. While we were dead, he didn't have to do it, but he made us alive with Christ. And so we understand a little bit more of the love of Christ. And we can look at his love again. And we can see in Romans 5.8 that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not only while we were dead, but while we were sinners. And each time we look and we look and we examine Christ's love, we see more of the dimensions that are immeasurable. This is how the hymn writer puts it. When I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Did you hear what the hymn writer said? When I think, when I think that God his son not sparing, I recognize the depths of his love. Now we have to move on. That's the first part. We're to comprehend Christ's love. But he says not only that, he says, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Look at verse 19 with me. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. This is a knowledge that's different from the comprehension that we saw. This is a knowledge that is experienced. It's worth asking here, 
When we speak of Christ's love, are we speaking of Christ's love as different from the love of the Father and the love of the Spirit? Of course not. We know that God is love, and all three persons are God, and all three persons are infinitely loving and are love. But we see something of God's love in Christ that we don't see in the Father and the Spirit. And that's the point of why Christ came. He came as a human because we understand love in terms that we can comprehend. Christ describes it this way. Greater love has no one than this. This is how we see love. That someone lay down his life for his friends. He says, you are my friends if you do what I've commanded you. So what's Paul saying here? This is basically where the one we know as the great apostle runs out of words. He has not much more to say. He says so much about the ability that we need to understand Christ's love. And then when he finally gets to the understanding of Christ's love, he says that it simply surpasses knowledge. Now this knowing, this is the point. It goes beyond what we call knowledge. We're to examine it. We're to look at Christ's love. We're to see that he saved dead people. We see that he saved sinners. But eventually it goes beyond what we can comprehend with our minds. It overflows our intellects, our understanding, and it goes into the depth of our experience. It's a felt love. It's something that we can say, I just know it to be true. I can't quite explain all of it to you, but I know it. It's the great leveler of people Christ's love is. There's no non-intellectual and intellectual. There's no advantage that the intellectual has over anyone else. It's to be examined, but more than that, it goes beyond our understanding. Christ's love is something that is to be experienced. Now, if you're a Christian, you might say, I believe Christ died for me. I can see by looking at the cross that he must love me. I know he must love me because he died for me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And that's true. We, we know that to be the case. But what Paul's saying is that it must be more than that. We can't say, Jesus must know me. He has to know me because of what I know. It goes beyond and we have to be able to say, I know that he loves me. I've experienced his love for myself. This is what the hymn writer says. When I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, what does he say? I scarce can take it in. I get to the point where I say, I'm just about at the limit of what I can understand. But it actually goes beyond. It overflows my limits of comprehension and it goes into my experience then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art in love toward me. My soul sings. It goes beyond my thoughts. It goes beyond what I can verbalize. And the depths of my being worships the Lord. So what are we left to say after all of this? Here it is. And this is a very short short. In, in the third and final movement of this prayer. 
All you're left to say is this love has filled me so full that I've been filled with all the fullness of God. That's verse 20, or verse 19, the end. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I think we get to the point where we're all nervous of exactly what to say about this. What can we say about God's fullness? That we've been filled with it. Is, it. is this too much to ask? Is this something we even can ask? Christ answers all of these thoughts through this prayer. He would answer to us this morning, no, it's not wrong to ask to be filled with all the fullness of God. Indeed, it must be the case. This is the extension of what it means to know Christ's love. It can't be any other way. Christ is saying that if he makes his home in you, rooting and grounding you in his love, then you'll find that his love surrounds you and his love fills you and your soul worships him. If I can say one more thing about this fullness, it would be this. Remember when we looked at verse 17 where Christ dwells in the heart of the believer. He dwells, he makes his home. That word is only used two other times by Paul, both in the book of Colossians. In Colossians 1.19 and Colossians 2.9, he says that in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. What does this mean? All of the fullness of God dwells in Christ. And Christ dwells in us. And all the fullness of what Christ has dwells in us. It brings us to the limits of what we can understand. It brings us to the limits of what we can feel safe about, theologizing about. That we are filled with all of the fullness of God. And I think we're about at the place where Job confessed. I've uttered what I didn't understand. Things too wonderful for me that I did not know. Christ's love is not a subject to be trifled with. It's to be enjoyed. It's to be experienced. It's to be known in you. But it's not something to be trifled with. This isn't something shallow. This is something deep. And its depths, we are to know. So I pray for each of us that you'd be able to pray this prayer knowing that God wants to answer it. And that you'd be able to say at the end, I've never known what love is before. Anything that I ever knew was just a shadow. I've seen the substance of the love of Christ. So what are we left to do? Is this something we can pray how can we ask to know a love that exceeds our knowing, even if we're enabled by God? Paul gives the answer. God gives the answer to us in verse 20. He says this, in response to everything that we've seen, being filled with all the fullness of God, verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Can God do to us 
what is impossible, he can do far more abundantly beyond all we can ask or think. If you've never known anything of this love, ask Christ to come in and to dwell within you. Ask him to live and make his home inside of you. Because the truth is that if you don't know Christ, even while you sit here, you sit here a dead man, a dead woman, alienated from God, strangers to his promises. But God will dwell within you. Christ will make his home within you if you would have him. Even while we were dead in our sins. Because of his great love, Christ made us alive. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star. It reaches to the lowest hell. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stock on earth a quill? And every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich, how pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and the angels' song. Amen. Let's take a minute to reflect on the love of Christ. Ask him to make himself more at home within us, root us, ground us in love. And give us the ability to comprehend your vast love, O oh Lord. That we be filled with your fullness. Do that for a minute and then we'll pray together. Oh, love of God, how rich and how pure. God, you have made each Christian here pure, holy from the heart. You've taken up residence inside of us by your spirit. You've brought Christ in to dwell in us, in the inner being. But Lord, we know that we need more we don't live on a one-time experience of your power. But we live by faith on your strength within us. Make Christ more and more at home within us. Make his dwelling to look more like him. Would we be able to say that we're rooted, we're planted... We're grounded on the foundation of Christ's love so that we'd have the ability to comprehend this. Help us to grasp the immeasurable nature of Christ's love. Help us to examine it and to appreciate and to see more and more 
height and the breadth, the depth, the width. And help us to experience it, overflow our minds, overflow our intellects, so that we'd be able to say, I know that Christ doesn't just need to love me because I've seen what he's done, but I know he loves me because I've experienced it for myself. Oh God, fill us with the fullness of your love. Fill fill us with the fullness of yourself. Amen. Let's stand together and let's pray this prayer knowing that God wants to answer this in us. Let's pray together. Father, we see that Christ's love is vast. In him, people from every nation in ethnicity have been brought into Christ's family. If we are going to live like this, We need to know your love. Give us power according to the wealth of your glory. Empower us again by your Holy Spirit so that Christ would make himself more fully at home in our hearts. Root us deeper in love. Ground us in the foundation of Christ's love. And enable us to know his love in all its immeasurable dimensions and fill our minds to overflowing that we would feel his love. Fill us with your fullness. We ask of you who is able to do even more than we can ask or imagine. Amen.